and thank you, Clint and praise team. It's good to be with you today. If you have your Bible, hope you brought that with you. I think you know where we're going to be, but I'll go ahead and tell you. Philippians chapter 1, we've been here for several weeks now. We're working our way through uh, this letter, through this book, in a series that we are calling Joy in the Midst of Darkness. So again, I want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 1 today. You know, several years ago, Victoria and I had planned a, a family trip um, going on a cruise to Alaska. And uh, we lived in Texas at the time uh, this was taking place. And so uh, our plan was to actually meet uh, our family in Seattle. That was the port that we were going to leave from. And so we lived in Texas. And so we flew from Dallas to Texas. And, and our flight went great. Uh, nothing went wrong. We actually got there with plenty of time to spare. We were able to to see the city of Seattle and see the different things there. But you know how plans go sometimes, as, as well thought out as they sometimes are, sometimes they get kinks in them. Sometimes they don't work out the way you want them to. And so while on our side of things, things were working out beautifully, on the other side of things, our family side of things, they were flying out of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and unfortunately for them, right before they were about to board the plane, the mechanic discovered some type of issue with the plane. Ultimately, it needed immediate attention, immediate repair. Um, long story short, they were not able uh, to be, or be able to get to Seattle by the time that they needed to be, to be able to get on this boat with us. And so you can imagine that when Victoria and I heard this in Seattle, in our hotel room, we were devastated. I mean, we had planned for this trip for several, several months Going to Alaska has always been on my bucket list. But, you know, in that moment, I realized that Victoria and I were kind of put in a difficult decision uh, to to have to make right here. Because on one side of things, we could just go ahead and and board this ship. I mean, we've already spent the money to get to Seattle. We already had the plane, not the plane tickets, the, the cruise tickets. We could just walk on board and we could go and enjoy ourselves. Or do we do the other thing, which would be the right thing, I guess you could say, and that is to wait on our family, uh, to not board the ship, and maybe try to come up with some other uh, vacation plan instead. Well, I'll be honest, Um, and I won't speak for Victoria here because she's just a better human being than I am, but for me, this truly was a difficult decision to make. Like I said, I've always wanted to go to Alaska. I had already envisioned in my mind, what it would be like to see the snow-capped mountains, what it would be like to see the rugged terrain, what it would be like to see all the beautiful wildlife, all on the luxury of my private balcony while I'm drinking coffee on the the state-of-the-art ship. I mean, that sounds pretty nice, right? And listen, I'm not going to lie, I was torn on what to do. There was a part of me that wanted to say, too bad, I'm getting on this boat. And I'm going to have fun on this boat with my wife, and it's going to be great. But then there was another part of me that said, no, that's not right. The right thing to do is to actually wait on your family. The right thing to do is actually to come up with another vacation plan when they, get, when they all get on, uh, when they get to Seattle. Now, listen, honestly, I didn't have much to complain about, right? Either way, it's sort of a win-win situation for me. Uh, I mean, either way, I, I'm going to either A, get on a cruise boat with my wife, or B, I'm still going to be with people I love, my family, and I'm going to go do something fun. Honestly, I think I chose 
um, the right decision, and that was to stay. And our family ended up renting a 15-passenger van, and we toured the Northwest, and it was, it was beautiful. It was one of my favorite, favorite vacations. But listen, I, I tell you that story today because I think it's going to help us to, to understand the dilemma that Paul is faced with here as we come to verses 22 through 26 in the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippian believers. Because you see, in these verses, Paul is faced with a very difficult decision to make. Should he choose to to fight through his difficult circumstances in prison, seek to persevere, seek to live, so that he might be able to continue on in his life and in his ministry, or... On the flip side, should he choose to just give up uh, and die at the hands of the Roman guards, knowing that if he departs from this world, he's going to be present with Christ, whether there's going to be no more imprisonment for him, uh, no more struggle, no more suffering, and no more pain, which for Paul, we've already seen this in verse 21, that was considered to be far better. Now listen, I, I know that maybe that example seems a little bit radical to you, right? We're not, probably not at least, going to be like Paul here. Uh, be in prison for our faith. But you see, at the same time, as Christians, we should be able to relate to what Paul is actually saying here. Because while we love the life that we've been given now, we at the same time should long for the life that we will be given in heaven when we die. And there lies the tension. In other words, as Christians, we live between two worlds. We have a, a, a dual citizenship. citizenship. We're, we're, we're earth-born, but we're heaven-bound. We, we live on earth, but we long for what is ahead of us in heaven. And so as, as someone who, who lives between these two worlds and these two realities, we sometimes experience the tension that lies in between them, especially when life gets really hard. Right? I mean, I mean how, how many times have you said these things? And maybe we say them flippantly. We certainly do. But how many times have you truthfully said something along the lines of, Lord, take me now. Take me home when you're deathly sick. How many times do you say that when, when you're deeply hurt or in pain? When you turn on the news and all you see is divisiveness and and hatred and division and you're reminded that we're living in a broken country with broken morals and broken values, all while living in a global pandemic where the future seems uncertain or at best bleak. I mean, I don't know about you, but while I love the life that God has given me now, there is a part of me that just wants to say, Lord, take me now. I mean, take me home. I'm tired of living in this broken and sin-infested world, and I'm ready to be with you in heaven where all things will be restored and made new. We see in a very similar way, that's what Paul is saying here. He's living between two worlds. He's, he's in prison. He's awaiting a trial. He didn't know how this trial's going to go, and so part of him, yeah, wants to live so that he can continue to, to live on and, and do his ministry, but there is also another part of him that realizes that heaven is just going to be so much better than what he's faced with right here on this earth. And so he's expressing the tension of these two realities in these verses. Now, I think for us, to some degree, we can relate to that. Because again, we're we're earth-born, but we're heaven-bound. In other words, we love serving the Lord. We love working for the Lord. 
But we think about what is coming for us in heaven, and we're reminded the words that Jesus gave to his disciples in Luke 19.13. Jesus said, Occupy the land until I come. That is, stay busy with the task at hand until I return to come and get you. Yet in Revelation 22.12, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. And John said, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So, so yeah, we, we, we want to occupy the land until He comes, but boy, we want Him to come as quickly as possible, too. You see, that's the experience of Paul right here in these verses. He's, he's torn about this predicament that he finds himself in, and he's not sure which one he should choose. And so in light of all that, the question that I want each one of us to consider this morning is this. I'll put it up here for the screen on you, uh, for you. How do you keep the balance of living on earth responsibly while longing for heaven ultimately? That's the big question for today. How do you do that? What does that even look like? How do you keep the balance of living on earth responsibly in the now while longing for heaven ultimately, which is the future? How do you do that? Well, based upon this passage that we are about to look at, Paul is going to show us three attitudes that I'm going to sum up in three different words. They're going to help us to see how we can live in this balance. And they are, if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, he's he's, he's wrestling in in that Paul is wrestling with this predicament. Uh, Number two, he's wanting in that Paul is wanting to depart and push off from earth so that he can go on and be with the Lord in heaven. But then number three, he's willing. And that Paul is willing to remain on earth and to stay behind so that he can continue to to train up and teach others about Christ. All right, so those are the three words that describe the three attitudes that describe this this internal conflict and conversation that Paul's going to have with himself in these verses. So let's let's start by unpacking this first word. Again, that word is is wrestling. Paul is, is wrestling with a predicament. Look at verse 22 now as it shows us what Paul is wrestling with here. Paul says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. Now immediately we can kind of catch on to Paul's predicament here, right? He's in jail, he's awaiting trial, he's not sure what the verdict's going to be, and so he pours out his honest thoughts for us right here. Basically, what he's saying is that he's in prison and that life is getting pretty hard right now. So, so he's kind of, in some ways, ready to go home uh, and be with the Father and Son in heaven. Yet, at the same time, Roman guards are getting saved. Other Christians are becoming emboldened to go and share their faith. The gospel message is advancing through his imprisonment. Which is what what means for Paul is he's saying, living in the flesh is fruitful work for me. You see, for Paul, he leveraged his life so that others may come to know Jesus. And oftentimes, he saw the fruits of that labor. Now, before we move on, let me just remind you of something right here because it's important. And that is that Paul, and we've seen this already, we've talked about this already. Paul has dedicated his life to honor the Lord and to serve him. Right? We've seen how Paul just lives a Christ-focused life, a Christ-centered life. He's dedicating his life to serve and honor him. That means a couple of different things right here. Okay, number one, it means that Paul knows that God is sovereign. 
that God is in control. And number two, kind of related to that, it means that Paul knows that because God is sovereign and holy and that he's in control, he's ultimately going to do whatever he pleases and wants to do in this situation. But here's the problem. Paul has no idea what that is. He doesn't know if it's God's will for him to stay on earth or if it's God's will for him to go to heaven. And so that's the idea of what Paul means at the end of verse 22 when he says, and I don't know which one I should choose because ultimately Paul's allegiance is to God. So he wants whatever God wants for him. But what Paul is saying here is that God hasn't told him what he wants and therefore he does not know which one he should choose. In other words, Paul wants to follow the will of God for him, but God has not yet revealed to him what that will is. And so to use the phrase that we talked about last week, Paul right here, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. On one side of him is a wall, and on that wall, it represents, uh, in light of what his situation is, which is to, to be with the Father and Son in heaven, that's what he wants. Yet on the other side of him is this other wall, and that represents what the Philippian believers want in his situation, which is to live which is to train them and equip them and instruct them about the teachings of Christ. Okay, so just to put this all together now, Paul is walking in this valley of, or this canyon of emotion. There's walls on either side between his will and ultimately between God's will for him, and he does not know which one he should choose. Now let's just apply that for a moment to our own lives. Because, you you see, whenever our life gets confining like that, um, whenever the walls of of our experience begin to close in around us, whenever the options of our lives and our situations get taken off the table, that's when we begin to struggle, right? Because, you see, options, options, listen to this, options ease our burden. Typically, options ease our burden. In other words... When we have plenty of options on the table, we typically don't feel burdened by the situation we're in because we realize there's there's plenty of ways that I can go about this, and so I'm not going to stress too much. However, when those options begin to be taken away from us, well, that's where you begin to feel this burden, right? For example, maybe for, for you, it's an illness you have. Maybe it's a, it's a loss of a spouse. Maybe it's an end of a career or a breakup of a relationship or, or a death of a vision that you had for yourself. You see, when, when those things happen in our lives and we feel like life is harder than it ever has been before, we have a choice to make. And we need to be careful how we, how we go through that choice because this is such an, an emotional struggle. And in these moments, our choices become critical. You see, ultimately, our, our decision in moments like this, they're going to be based upon our motivation. In other words, what is it that, that drives you or, or motivates you? And so in moments like this, it's good to ask yourself this question. Do I want God's glory or do I want my comfort? In this situation that I'm hard-pressed with, do I want God's glory in this? Do I want what, what He wants for me, or do I want what I want for me, my comfort? Now listen, I know, I know some of you here today are, are thinking, well, 
Why can't I have both? I mean, I mean, why can't it be God's perfect will for me? Why can that also not perfectly align up with my own comfort? And what, what I want to do as well. Well, listen, it very well could, but it very well couldn't. Because it might be, listen to this, it might be that his will and your will, that his desire and your desire, that they don't actually line up perfectly together. And friend, that is an uncomfortable place to be. And in these moments, you need to weigh your desires with God's desires and decide whether or not your decision will be based upon God's glory or your comfort. Listen, I, I tell you that this morning because I realize that, that when we are in those extreme situations of life that, that sometimes come our way, and when all we want really at the end of the day is our comfort, we have a tendency to fall into two categories or, or two extremes. On, on one side of it, some of us have a desire to become what they call very, very fatalistic. And, and what I mean by that is, is that you see life as being hard. Uh, you, you see life as being something you begin to just dread and hate, and so you begin to have thoughts of suicide, and you're just ready to die. You're ready to escape. You're ready to go to heaven because you feel like this life has, has nothing else for you, nothing else it can, it can give you, and so you're very, you're very fatalistic. However, on the other side of this coin, others of us fall into the other extreme, and that's materialism. You say something along the lines of, well, since all these options are off the table... Um, since there's not a whole lot of things that I can do in this situation, I'm just going to do what I want and have fun, and when I die, I'll just go to heaven, and it's going to be okay. But you see, what Paul is getting at here, what he's showing us here, is that we need to be careful not to fall on that extreme or that extreme. We don't need to have a, a come to a point in our lives where we become so fatalistic that we just give up that we just stop living for and serving the Lord. And at the same time, we don't need to become so focused on materialism and materialistic things because when all we do is focus on the thrills and pleasures of life, well, then again, we're also not going to focus on the Lord and do the things that he's called us to do. All right, so, so, so you can see Paul's struggle here, right? He's suspended between two worlds. He's in this in-between state. He's saying, I'm on, I'm on earth facing possible death. It's terrible, which, but that could take me to heaven. So that's even better. But maybe, maybe if I stay behind, it would, would be better. So he's, so he's wrestling with his predicament. But then there's a second attitude that Paul shows us here, and that is this. He's wanting. He's wanting. This is the second attitude or word that describes what Paul's talking about in this section. And in other words, what, what is it? That, that Paul really wants here. What's Paul's desire? Well, we've already touched on this some, but let's press in a little, a little bit more here as we look at what he says in verse 23. Paul says, I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Okay, now like I've, like I've said, we already have a, a general idea that Paul's desire is to go on to heaven. And to be with the Lord. That, that's what he wants. But, but I want to talk with you for a moment about that word departure or, or, or depart that he uses in this verse. He says, I long to depart. Because I, I think in doing that, I think in doing that, we're, we're going to be able to appreciate the depth and the, and the beauty of what Paul is saying here all the more. 
You see, this word depart that he uses is the word analeho in the Greek. Uh, and it, it means to, to break up, to, to unloose or undo. It was a word that was used by, by, by two groups of people in those days. And the first group of people that used it were sailors. Sailors would use the word depart or, or departure when they were going to sail from one port to another port. And so I think in the back of Paul's mind here, that's kind of the picture he has of his own life. Sailing from this port of life to the, to the next port of life that God has in store for him. For example, at the end of his life, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, For the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, he's telling young Timothy here, It's time for me to to pull up the anchor and set sail to my next destination, which is heaven. And listen, as Christians today, I think we can relate to that, because for many of us, our favorite hymns include, I'll fly away, or when we all get to heaven, because we too, we long for that day that we sail from this port of life to the next and that we get to enter into those pearly gates. But, but not only did sailors use this word, number two, soldiers actually used this word as well when they were, were camping, when they were out in, in battle, fighting, and when it was time to move from from one battleground or from one campsite to another. And so when it came that time, they would say, Analejo, and they would would break up camp and they would move on. Now, I don't know about you, but but I think that's a great illustration for our own lives. Because really, when when you think about it, that's what we're doing, isn't it? In other words, earth is kind of like our campground. We're just temporarily camping out here because our permanent destination, it's somewhere else. It's in heaven. And so one day, it will be time for us to say, Analejo, and break up our camp, uh, put away our tent, and and to move on to our final home. And by the way, uh, since we're just all kind of imagining this in our head right now, let's just take it a step farther and also imagine that our bodies are a lot like a tent. You see, a tent, while good... While beneficial, it's ultimately going to do what? It's going to wear out, isn't it? At some point, it's, it's going to wear out. I mean, sure, when you buy it, oh, it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's nice. Everything's working properly, but over time, those threads are going to start wearing out. Over time, it's not going to be flapping the way you want it to flap to. And then when you camp out and it rains, which always happens to me, right? It, all the rain droplets get on you. Right? Over time, that's going to happen. Because a tent, the nature of a tent is what? It's temporary. Temporary, I can't say the word, temporary. Excuse me. Well, you see, in a very similar way, a tent describes our body. For for example, when you were born and young, I'm just going to imagine, you probably felt spry, uh, chipper, full of energy. Now, for those of you who are more seasoned in life, you're beginning to feel a little bit more rigid. A little more stiff, a little more lethargic, aren't you? Listen, I I know I'm still pretty young, okay? I got a few gray hairs, I promise. I'm only 31 years of age, but I'm just going to be honest and say I'm beginning to feel the effects of this in my own life as well. For example, I can remember not that long ago, um, I could just jump right out of bed. and I mean, I could just go, go, go. Now, 
If I try to do that, I'm going to hear bones pop. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to feel my muscles strain. I'll be honest, I can't do anything in the morning until I get my morning cup of coffee and just let it kickstart my day. But you see, listen, as depressing as that can sometimes be for us, it should just further remind us that earth is it's not our permanent home. This body is not what's all for us. One day, this body is going to fade away just like a tent will fade away. And listen, I know that reality can sometimes feel heavy. I know it can sometimes feel defeating. I know it can sometimes make you you feel bad. But what's so beautiful about this verse is that Paul shows us that death is more than just a departure, for death is also an encounter with the Lord. Look again at what he says here in verse 23. I love it. He says, I am torn between the two. I long to depart. That's death. And be with what? Say it with me. Christ, which is far better. You see, what what makes death sweet for the Christian, it's not the departure. It's the arrival. Did Did you catch that? For the Christian, it's not the departure that makes death sweet. It's the arrival because we will be with Christ in heaven and that is far better than anything this life can bring. You know, I once heard a story about a, a young preacher who spoke about heaven in terms of, of what was there. You know, he talked about the streets of gold, uh, the river of life, the trees that, that lined the river of life, because he was, he was taking his cues from the book of Revelation. In other words, he, he was talking about heaven based on what was there. Well, several decades, several years went by, and unfortunately... In that time span, his wife and his daughter died. They departed and they went to be with the Lord in heaven. And so now the much older preacher, he stopped talking about heaven, not in terms of of what's there, but now he started talking about in terms of who's there. And for the believer, who's there, it's not just relatives or friends or, or, or loved ones that you get to reunite with. And listen, you will. But even more and above and beyond that is the joy of that intimate face-to-face encounter with Jesus himself. See, that's the highlight of heaven. The main attraction of heaven is not stuff. The main attraction of heaven is God. He'll be there. You'll see him face to face. Heaven will display God's glory undiminished, full screen, and the wow factor will be immense. You're going to be in your, in your glorified body. You're going to be in the presence of God himself. You see, Paul, he, he wrestled with this. He, he wanted this. He wanted to depart from this world and to do all those things that we just talked about. But there's one more word that describes Paul's third and final attitude here. And that is that he is willing. He's willing. Paul was willing, if it be God's will, to stay behind and help other people. Let me show you this as we look at our text one last time. Let's let's start from the beginning because I think if we start from the beginning, we'll be able to appreciate it all the more. Paul says in beginning in verse 22... Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. 
I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. In other words, he's, he's wrestling and he's wanting right here. But now look at verse 24, because he's willing to stay behind if that be God's will for him. Look at, look at what he says as he concludes. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Now, i got to bring this up because this is just real interesting to me right here. You see, the theme of this book can be summed up into one word. What is that word again? Say it. Joy. Joy. Paul writes about joy all throughout this book, but notice what he's saying right here in these verses. Because what he's saying is that it's not about his joy, it's about your joy. He's saying, I- I'm willing to remain if I can add to your joy, first of all, by bringing fruit. Verse 22, this means fruitful work for me. And then secondly, by progressing others in the Christian faith. That's verse 25, with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Let me just say that that's a mark of a spiritual person. For a a spiritual person is willing to put what he or she wants on hold or on pause if it means helping someone else. You see, that's what Paul's doing right here. What he's saying is that what he really wants is to be with Christ. That's far better. But nevertheless, he's willing to put what he wants on hold if that means he can help others grow and progress in their faith instead. You see, what I love about what Paul's doing right here is that he's practicing what he's about to preach to the Philippian believers. For example, look ahead in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I promise you we will get there one day. But look ahead. It's a preview for what we're going to be studying ten weeks from now. No, I'm picking. He says, beginning in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. And so in chapter 2, Paul is is going to say, this is what you ought to do, Philippian believers. But in chapter 1, he's saying, look to me, because I actually model this out in my own life. He does this really in two main ways. Number one, he does this by fruitfulness. Again, that's what he means in, in verse 22. When he says, now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And that as long as Paul was still kicking and breathing on this earth, he was going to keep living a fruitful life by by winning people to Christ, by living a a holy and set-apart life, by financially supporting God's work and using his gifts as a platform to serve and to minister to others. See, Paul understood something that I think many Christians today neglect and abuse. And that is this. Listen closely to this. Paul understood that his fruitfulness was going to end when he died. You see, some of us need to hear that today. Your fruitfulness as a Christian will die when you die. Because in heaven, there is no need to be fruitful. For example, do you think we're going to go on mission trips to heaven? 
I mean, do, do you think when we're in heaven, God's going to say, listen, y'all get here. Uh, we're going to go to this part of the heaven because they're not reached yet. No. You think we're going to pass out gospel tracts in heaven? Said, so listen, so-and-so, they're not saved. They somehow got through um, God, but they're not saved. So, so go hand them a, a gospel tract. You, th- you think we're going to tithe in heaven our money? Of course not, right? Because heaven is perfection. There's no need for us to be fruitful there. We're going to be doing things, then that will be fruitful. But in this case, there's no need to be fruitful here in what Paul is trying to say. Because we're already glorified. Everything is already perfectly in its place. There's, there's really no more work to be done in terms of kingdom advancement because kingdom has come. You are a part of the kingdom in full. And you see, what that means for us is that God wants us to be fruitful right now. Right now. In other words, if you're still breathing, then whether you're young or old, whether you're rich or poor, God's desire for you is to live a fruitful life. His desire for you is to leverage your time, your talents, your treasures to further the kingdom of God. Not when you get to heaven, but right now in the day-to-day just as Paul had. All right, so Paul pursued fruitfulness in his life. I'll give you another one that he pursued as well, and that is progress. Progress. Look again at what he says in verse 25. He says, since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You see, what's on Paul's mind here is the spiritual growth of other believers. And so far, being in prison has not hurt that growth. It's actually helped to advance that growth. And so Paul realizes that if he gives up, If he just says, I don't know, just take me, Lord, sure, his bad circumstances will be removed. He'll no longer have hassles that he'll have to deal with. They'll be gone, but but so is his effectiveness. He he won't be able to win any more guards to Christ if he leaves. He won't be able to, to stimulate Christian boldness, as we mentioned about in verse 14. He won't be able to inspire others with the pen as he writes letters. He won't be able to to build up other churches. And so knowing that, Paul concludes here by saying, I'm willing to postpone going to heaven because there's work to be done right now. And if I can help others progress in their faith, then by golly, I sure will. See, as we begin to close out our time together today, I think I can just boil all this down for you in one statement. So if you've been snoring on me, wake, wake that person up because this is my sermon in one sentence. As a believer, you're on your way to heaven. However, until you get there, do something. You're on your way to heaven. Woo, that's great. Congratulations. I am so glad that you are going to be a part of the kingdom of God, that you're going to gain access into those pearly gates. However, until you get there, do something. Now, you might say, oh, how do you know that's God's will for me, Jeremy? Well, because you're still here. 
Because you're still breathing? Because you're not room temperature yet? And so if that's the case, God wants you to live a fruitful life that furthers His kingdom and helps others progress and grow in their faith. But here's my question for you. Are you? Are you living a gospel-driven, purposeful life as Paul has shown us here? Or are you taking advantage of the time and the, the talents and the treasures that God has given you so that you can leverage those and advance those for the kingdom of God? See, I'm afraid that many of us here today, many of us watching online today have just become very lethargic, very complacent, in our faith, if we are to be honest. I mean, sure, you've gotten right with God. You're going to go to heaven one day when you die and and praise God. You've made a decision to, to ask Jesus to come into your heart. But has that been reflective in your tithes and offerings to the ministries of His church? Has that been reflective in your willingness to step up and teach our children in that children's building right there about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a follower of Christ? Has that been reflective in your desire to to go outside these four walls and to share the love of Christ with your unsaved neighbor, your unsaved uh, co-worker, or even your unsaved friend or family member? Listen closely to me, church. Salvation, salvation, getting saved, it is not the finish line. It's the starting line. God wants you to to be saved, yes, but He wants you to go and do something until you get home. God's desire for you is to make your life count. To live with purpose and to make His name known. So I will ask you one last question and we will close. But be honest with me here. Can you confidently this morning say that you're living a life like that? Or is there an area in your life that you need to repent of today and ask out God's will and direction for it? Let's pray.